Welcome to the Thursday edition of Canuck Central. It is Satyar Shah with Vic Nazar in for Dan Richo this week. And as always, Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire, quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. Canucks, well, 8 out of last 11. Vic, we were on the postgame show last night. It was a very interesting. I mean, and, and I a believe late one, a late one. Yes, seven thirty start. Uh, we were here till midnight and a late night. And uh, looking back at that Canucks game, and we'll, and we'll talk about them being at five hundred now. And we're going to get to uh, the meaty discussions in a moment. Bo Horvat negotiations, Brock Besser trade idea in thirty two thoughts. Not a report, an idea, a thought in thirty two thoughts, as you would expect by Elliot Friedman. One of twenty one. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about Andre Kuzmenko. And also, uh, is is a top nine overrated? We'll get to all that stuff, all that stuff coming up in a bit. But the Vancouver Canucks, of course, yes, beat the San Jose Sharks. And you know what? At least it's been entertaining. I'll say that much. Like it's it's been a lot of fun. When, when you take a step back and look at it, and you're like, this team has scored 13 goals in their last two games. 13 goals in their last two games. And they've given up. 16 goals in the last three games. <laughs> Actually, 26 in the last five. 26. But, okay, I mean, uh, let's also go back to that game against the Montreal Canadiens because they did also, I mean, uh, going back to the, the Coyotes, they scored three in that game, only gave, only gave up two. Yeah. And I say only gave up two because it's only it's been less than a handful of times this team has given up less than three goals in a game. So, hey, it's one of those things we haven't seen. But it is a lot of fun. And boy, boy, oh boy, are these guys putting up a lot of numbers. And putting up those numbers does complicate a lot of things for this team. Well, not in a, potentially in a good way, especially for guys that may be looking for a trade, whether it's Garland or Besser. Now, Garland's, of course, production isn't there. We'll see where it goes with Besser, who's getting a chance with Pedersen. But Bo Horvat, who's back... Or at least his name is back in the discussions as far as, as as far as whether he signs an extension or is he more likely to get traded and all that stuff. But it didn't take long for him to get back into the news. It didn't take long at all. But man, is he putting up numbers? And even last night, I mean, two assists. So as much as we're talking about, he's scoring a lot of goals. And yeah, maybe a bit lucky. I, I was, I'm still a bit chafed at that second assist. He was he was credited because it went off his skate. If, if you were a JT Miller prop holder, yes, uh, over yesterday, you were. Uh... A bit chapped at, yes. at, at, at that ruling. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. But but as far as Bo is concerned, though, I mean, the numbers just continue staying high. Now, we'll see where the goal scoring goes. It's 20 goals in 27 games, but he's got 29 points. And the longer he stays at a point-per-game range, I mean, even if Vancouver really wanted to sign him, has he priced himself out? Is that already kind of obvious at, the, at this stage? Yeah, it's a great scenario for Bo Horvat. Just keep producing. Uh, and and we, we've been focusing on the goal side of it yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or just in general, because he's got 20 goals now in 27 games. The assists, he's, he's kind of at his normal rate. But if he gets to a stage where it's 70 points, just 70, forget even a point a game, where it's 70 points, the, the number that it gets escalated to uh, goes to probably priced out here in Vancouver. Well, I like I've been saying, and I, I was not expecting Vancouver to ultimately give JT Miller $56 million. We talked about how, hey, maybe Vancouver goes to the low 50s to get it done, but ultimately they, they went higher. My sense has been they wouldn't really go much higher than what they're paying JT for Bo. And if Bo looks at that and says, no, I'm getting more. And hey, 
Uh, Elliot Friedman today in the 32 Thoughts blog, and we'll get to something else he mentioned as well when it comes to Brock Besser. But as far as Bo goes, and he mentioned this on uh, on air as well, that it looks like it's more likely he gets traded than signed, which kind of has been the idea. But the question does come down to if Vancouver does have a true desire to keep him. And I've mentioned that it's, it's, it's a greater chance than 0 or 5 or 10% that Vancouver keeps him because they do have a real desire. I don't know if that desire is strong enough to bend on the number to get it done, but there is a real desire to keep him. But the number, how big is it? Here's Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff, who was on this morning with Halford and Bruff, talking about the type of money he could be getting from at least one team in a very interesting comparable as far as a player He's being compared to by one team that might be interested. There were rumblings last week that the Canucks had potentially made a new offer or re-engaged with the Horvat camp. I have no confirmation or indication that that actually occurred or is the case. But I, the only sense that I have is that nothing has materially changed one way or the other with how things have gone with Horvat to this point. And I think more than that, there are whispers from other teams that I've spoken to. I, I have reason to believe, guys, that one team out there, at least, and it only takes one, is willing to pay Bo Horvat a number that starts with a nine. Good Lord. Really? On just a long-term contract Cap's extension? Going up. Cap's it, going up. Cap's going up. Is need you- a center. Yeah. Absolutely I, I... need a center. And, and this team that I spoke to said – they think Bo Horvat is just a way younger version of Ryan O'Reilly. That's Frank Saravalli talking about Bo Horvat. Now we'll get to the player comparison, Ryan O'Reilly. Um, but as far as the number is. Well, I know some people are going to be shocked by that. But just do the math on this, right? If we're if we're at a stage where we think Bo Horvat's going to get $8 million by 8 here, okay? Which... That's not even unreasonable to say anymore. No, that's $64 million. Okay. Which is the Logan Couture contract. Yeah. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Is that comparable for Bo Horvat, you know, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson? You could make the argument easily yeah. that he should get that sort of money from the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, for sure. So if you hit unrestricted free agency, well, how do you get $64 million? It's, it's only seven years. Yeah, so it's going to be nine years. Nine million. Nine million. So it's nine million over seven. It's, it's, Which is why you and I have been harping on total money. It's like yes. if, if if this is what you think you're worth, how do the years split up that money? Yeah. And, and if you go to unrestricted free agency, that's what it looks like. And even if you love Bo Horvat, I don't. He's he, to me, he's not a player that's going to be worth that contract. I mean, that's more than Mika Zibanejad. That's more than Sidney Crosby. But that's a little yeah. Sidney different. Crosby is different. But but Mika Zibanejad. Bo is not a better player than Mika Zibanejad. And here's where the disconnect is. I'd have no problem. Like, hey, if Bo really was the next Ryan O'Reilly, sign me up. Hey, I'd even say pay him 10. Go 10 times 8. But he's not that player. Mm-hmm. And I see Mike texting in and others have the sentiment. And it's a, it's a prevailing one, really, when we see it on the postgame show. Keep the center, trade the winger. Fair point. But what's the number you're willing to pay the center. Because to me, if you're paying Bo, who's a second-line center on this team long-term, if you're trying to win, over $8 million, I don't know if that's a recipe for success. Like, if you start ranking centers, and I'm not sure Bo's going to score 40, 50 goals every single season. If he does that, sure. Mm-hmm. 
But I'm not sure he's going to do that. And you see a goal scoring like that is tough. And you look at the guys who get that, you have that one year. I know people point at JT, but JT's been a point-per-game player for like four years in a row. It's a consistent it's, mark of putting up points. Now, flawed player, yes, but... It's over 220 games now. L- let's say Bo reverts being back to what he's been. A 30-goal scoring... 30-goal 30, 30 guy, 20, 30-assist 30 guy, 50, 60-point guy, which is nice. It's good. But if you're paying that guy eight eight and a half million, nine million, I don't think you're going to win long term. Is he more like Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, and Logan Couture, or is he more like Mika Zibanejad and Braden Point? Because those contracts you look at, Duchesne, Couture, they're good players, but at eight eight and a half million, you're not loving it. Mm-hmm. You're 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 stuck in that middle. Yeah, which is where the Vancouver Canucks are right now. So my question with Bo, and I I know Frank also mentioned that the Canucks made an offer to him initially, eight years, five point two million, roughly a little bit less than that. Essentially, the Ryan Nugent Hopkins contract. Mm-hmm. But heading into this season, I think most would say they're comparable players: Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Bo Horvat. Heading into the season, and production wise, they were comparable. Probably going back to a calendar year. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's, you know, when we started having these conversations about, okay, what's JT Miller going to get? What's Bohorva going to get? There's so much more focus on Miller, but the the Horvat one was like, yeah, you know, the the, the Nugent Hopkins deal. That's where everyone started. Yes. And then you actually went through it and look at the numbers and look at the actual contract comparables for age. And you said that's the low end. That's the really low end. And that's not going to fly. We even knew that. We're like, hey, you're not going to get that contract here, but... Would would Bo play ball if you're offering him, you know, just under six over eight years? Now some guys jumped at you know during the flat cap era. Yeah. They jumped at term and, and, and maybe they, different landscape. Maybe Nugent Hopkins left some money on the table. Yeah. Uh but for a lot of people, like that was the baseline. And then you just just look at it, right? Like Brock Nelson makes six million dollars and uh just on throughout the league. Like there's guys that are clearly clipping six million in dollars that are easily second line centers yeah. easily yes. and as much as we talk about uh the deficiencies in Bo's game we both recognize he's a second line center yes it's just a matter of if you want to pay that extreme premium for a goal scoring face-off winning second line center that's what he is yes he is and and i understand like jt's not a center or at least not a long-term center he can play center but he's a first line winger and yes, you're paying $8 million per season, but it's a first-line winger you're paying. So I can see. I think it's more likely, at least over the next three to four years, that JT lives up to $8 million in terms of production compared to Bo if he's not scoring goals at this rate. And you're paying over $8 million for it. That's where the issue kind of comes in. So my question with Vancouver has kind of always been, because we, we, we've been harping on this point, if the Canucks really wanted to sign him, they could. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can decide between him and Kuzmenko, say we're signing Bo, and we'll figure it out later. Like You have the money to sign him. It's there. The question to me is, part of it obviously is, what else can you open up? But what is your desire? What What's the number that makes sense to you with that player? And I think when they look at Bo and they say, okay, if we can get him to, say, $50 million in total money, if we can get him signed to something like Kadri got, seven times seven, or like something along those lines in total money, that that fits in with where we want to go, what we want to do. If it's above that, I don't know if Vancouver wants to do it. I don't think it matters if they have the cap space or not. I think it comes down to, do you think that player is worth a number with an eight in front of it for the next eight years, at least? Because what it looks like at the moment, and usually, Bick, I will say, we always hear these numbers be astronomical, then the player ultimately signs. What do we say? What was the conversation around JT this time last year? It was, he's a manager at money. Yeah. You want to keep JT? Nine times eight. If you want JT, that's what it's going to cost. He may want 10. He just got 99 points. 
You know, that, that was a conversation for JT. Ultimately signed eight times seven, a lot of money, but it wasn't what people were talking about initially. So with Bo, I, I think we keep that in mind as well. But I don't think Vancouver have any, I don't think Vancouver has interest in going to over sixty million in total money here. And I don't think it makes sense. Like I don't think I don't think Vancouver can win if that's a commitment you make. And and more importantly, like part of the argument is this is your art your opportunity to, you know, we used the term blue chippers last night. This is your opportunity to bring in blue chippers with an asset like Bo Horvat because yeah. there's people around the league that value him at such a stage that are willing to go to nine years. Or sorry, nine million dollars. Yeah. That's I, I think even the most ardent Bo Horvat supporter would say he probably shouldn't make more than Sidney Crosby. Well, he probably shouldn't make more than Mika's of Benajad. Probably not. And, and that shouldn't be the case. But if there's people around the league that are saying, hey, the, I, I need to go get a center, I'm willing to pay him Nick Backstrom and Braden Point money. Hey, pay, great. I mean, if somebody's. I hope Bo gets. If Bo yeah. wants every. I hope he gets $10 million. I, I want every player to make as much as they possibly can. Go make your but, money. But if that's the reality, then I want to know what team that is, and that's the team you should be talking to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what it shows as well is if people think he's Ryan O'Reilly, he's not Ryan O'Reilly. And, and this is, and, and I know people think like, you know, uh, we're anti Bo to some extent. I, I'm anti the Bo narrative that he's a Ryan O'Reilly type, type player. I'm always anti like he's this ace two way guy. He's a goal scoring center who's very good and very valuable. He's a really good hockey player, but he's not Ryan O'Reilly. If he was Ryan O'Reilly, I, I would have been banging on the door to sign this guy already to a huge contract. Ryan O'Reilly was picking up Selkie votes in his second year. Yes. Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly on bad teams yes. had defensive value. He's been he's one of the best two-way centers of his generation. Stanley Cup winner. Basically, I, I think since 20... So Ryan O'Reilly came in 09? Something like that, yeah. In the past 12 years, 13 years, can you even list eight centers that have better defensive value than Ryan O'Reilly? Two way because I know there's like Philip Deneau types. Right, Philip Deneau, uh, I mean, Pajot had a run. I but think you go Bergeron, Kopitar. Those are two. Crosby, Taves, Crosby, Taves, and then uh, Couturier. Five. His production took a while, but he's had a couple of years where it's been pretty high. You're making, you know, yeah, like it's a really small. It's list. a small, small list, but he fits into that list, and he's even better. You can make the case. Yeah. And Bergeron and Bergeron is the Kopitar is the only two you can say, hey, surefire above. You know, like those are. You're talking about Hall of Fame, two of the best centers we've ever seen, especially two-way centers we've ever seen. He's not Ryan O'Reilly. But if a team thinks he's Ryan O'Reilly... That's the team I want to talk to. Yes. And that's why, too, you look at it. With JT, the Canucks shopped JT last mm-hmm. year. There just wasn't... They never got the value they were looking for. And we've, we've established what that value is. A high-end, high-level prospect, whether it's a center or a defenseman. They didn't get that one piece they wanted. Did they get it for Bo? And with the way Bo was playing... It's more likely a team gives you that than any other player on this team that you're willing to trade. Uh, Ramon texting in. Also, Buffalo got Tage Thompson for Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. We need the blue chipper. So exactly. we were talking about this last night. So Tage Thompson has turned into yes. a blue chipper. But in the moment... It took four years. It took four years. But in the moment, was he viewed as such? At the moment, he was considered a, a really good high-level prospect, mm-hmm. but not a not a... I don't know if he, he was kind of borderline blue chipper. Like he, people were very high on Tage Thompson because yeah. because of the package, and you see it now. But he wasn't quite considered, let, let's say, the you know the top prospect in the game at the moment that's available. And I'm not sure Vancouver is getting the top prospect available, but they they want a team's top prospect. So is there a 2022 version of Tage Thompson? What does that look like? Because again, I think we're both saying because because it was part of a package too. Yeah, it wasn't a blue chipper. But is there 
a version that you look around the league and say, who's a guy you'd be willing to bet on if the surrounding pieces in a trade are really good? Because we mentioned a guy yesterday because we're talking about Colorado. And it's like Alex Newhook. Right. I really like Alex Newhook. But I'm not even sure if that's the 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 prize. He's not. See, he would have to be part of a package. Sure. But see, and and maybe I mean, hey, with with Bo, especially if they realize they can't sign him or he doesn't want to sign. And here's the other thing: maybe he doesn't want to sign. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wants to go somewhere else. You know, that might be the case. And maybe because Vancouver slow played it and page at first, he's been he's been he feels somewhat slighted. Perhaps we don't know. Maybe he does, and maybe he just wants to go elsewhere. So you can't control it. At that point, you have to trade Bo for whatever you can get. You can't let him walk for anything. So if that's your best bet, a package, then you go after it. But I think what Vancouver is exhausting, and the only way Vancouver trades Bo before the trade deadline it's or ahead of the trade deadline piece. is if they get that one 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 piece they're looking for. So the, I think the lesson there too is there's the automatic blue chipper that we just look at and say like, yeah, that guy's absolutely going to be in your lineup long-term, all that sort of stuff. And you don't even need, you don't even need to worry about development, right? Yeah. Just like superstar qualities, he's going to be great. But I think the lesson in the Tage Thompson thing, and, and you and I talk about this a, a lot of just betting on traits, like that was size, he's got good hands, and you just hope it becomes something else. Are there guys around the league that you look at and say, hey, if if he's got the right traits? Newhook, for instance. Yeah. It's speed, but is there enough elsewhere that you're like willing to bet on? So and Newhook is just an example. This is not any, you know, reporting or anything. It's just an example of a player that you're talking about. And here's where I would wonder about it. Does this front office, and if you look at it, Rutherford's uh, track record and the types of players they've looked at in the past, do they view him as somebody they think can be a defensive two-way centerman? The person they bring in. Alex Newhook, oh, for instance. Oh, Newhook, yeah. I think beyond the speed, I think that would be the question they would have more than anything. Well, just look at the, the players that they had in Pittsburgh, right? Outside of Crosby and Malkin, yeah. right? But they go and acquire a Jeff Carter. Teddy Bluger does amazing defensive work that often goes unnoticed uh, in Pittsburgh. All their guys that they try to bring in you know, Matt Cullen was there forever, right? Yeah. Defensively responsible yeah. centers. And he came in when he was old, too, and he still had success. I mean, they've had a bunch of those guys over the course of the, of the years that they have, even the ones they have now. So that would be my question about a guy like him. And maybe they would like that, but they still want the other piece on top of it. But I think that's where it's at as far as Bo is concerned. And, hey, if those are the numbers they're talking about, and people are saying, hey, what if they're talking nine times six? Sure. I mean, that's a fair point. But I think if you're looking at, Free agency for both. We're talking nine million, and again, I'm not even sure that's actually going to come to pass. But it kind of shows you where the market at least is at this point in uh, in time. Uh, we'll try to get to more of your text coming up a bit later in the show, and we'll, and we'll interact a bit more as the show goes on. Here we have John Garrett Cheech coming up in a few minutes' time for the other segment. Uh, and I did want to get to this at least quickly, and we'll get to it a bit more later. But on the Brock Besser stuff from Elliot Friedman, he he kind of said and he presented an idea in the 32 Thoughts blog up on sportsnet.ca. And Bick, it's also very similar to an idea, or at least um, what you cited as the types of deals we've seen with comparable players like Brock Besser, what the return usually is, and what the Canucks might be looking at today. And what Friedman suggested wasn't all too dissimilar. Yeah, I'll just read it verbatim from from Elliot from the blog at sportsnet.ca. Part of many thoughts, but this is just this one on Brock. Uh, A team I wonder about for Brock Besser, Washington. This is personal opinion, but I wonder if a Besser for Anthony Mantha move makes any sense for both. Capitals need a jolt, and um, 
GM Brian McClellan said last weekend, can't do anything financially lopsided until there's clarity on Nick Backstrom's availability. Mantha's cap hit is slightly lower than Besser's, and he's got one fewer year, which would appeal to Vancouver. Anyway, just an idea, a fleeting thought from uh, Elliot Friedman uh, there. And, you know, when we were talking about trade comps as well, the one I talked about was on the very high end was Anthony Manta getting moved to Washington, Richard Panic, Jacob Rana, a first rounder and a second rounder. Like that would be unbelievable return uh for the Vancouver Canucks if they were to shop Brock Besser. Yeah. And you know, we've been talking it would be more in the Buchnevich and Raquel type trades. That that seems more realistic. Whereas the Manta was boy, if you got that, uh that's a big win. But it, it, it's not all that unsurprising to then see Brock and Mantha just mentioned in a straight swap for each other because they're both having their issues. Yeah. And, and by the way, it's not as if the Mantha trade was like pre-pandemic, right? No. That was uh, 2021. Yeah, it was more recent. So you mm-hmm. can look at it as something that, that's more comparable. But at this point, like you mentioned, it's, it's you're not getting a first-round pick probably in that swap. And as much as the Canucks are getting a player that would help them for another year, I, I'm not sure that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, with Bester, I think... Yes, cap space matters, but it's also getting something, you know, an asset back when you're moving that money out. But this would be at least a lateral move. It would be. You're getting it, somebody it, else in. It, it's not the, oh, take an L type trade. This is at least lateral, and you save a little bit of money, and you get a year less on, on the cap. It, it, it does make way more sense. Well, you know what? You know this trade. that trade would remind me of a little bit? Uh, remember when, the, when we saw the Hagelin for Pearson trade? That was made by Pittsburgh and LA, right. the Kings. Yeah. And the Kings acquired Haglin, who had another year left, and then the next year flipped him at the deadline. You get Mantha one more year left as an expiring contract. Actually, you can get Anthony Mantha as a straight swap if you want. And right now, that asset is just a lateral move. Come this offseason, as an expiring contract, mm-hmm. you get into the season. Let's say you're taking half a step next year. If you retain on that deal, do you get a second-round pick, for instance? Does he become a trade? Like, can you just, to your point, can you make a lateral move, kick that can down the road six months, and then you know at the very least you have an expiring coming up that you can get something back for next season? That's the sort of 3D chess that we talked about, right? Yeah. It's, it's how do you start to open up the cap for next season? Because is, is Manta easier to move in the summer than Brock is? Yeah. And if, if that's the case, then... Hey, that, that that would be clearing up uh, what five point seven five point seven million. And you know, somebody said, "Hey, Alvin Rutherford say they're only acquiring players under twenty six, and and it's true. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's older, but if you're looking at the contract, it's it's just for a way to get out from under the contract. And instead of you getting an asset for Pez Besser now, which you can't get because he has two years left on his contract, can you get an asset for Mantha in the summer? In the summer, because he has. He's in the final year of his contract. It, it's just another way of getting that asset. It's not about acquiring the player to be a part of the core. And that's just an idea. But again, Vic, that's why I come down to, back to the whole idea. If Besser, the best time to trade him is probably the offseason. Because mm-hmm. these are your options right now. I, I, I think a, a handy trick is to stop putting conclusions on trans- transactions. So, for instance, when we talk about Luke Shen the other day, right? Yes. And it's like, oh, you, you might be able to get a second-round pick. And people say, well, it's going to take four years for that second round pick to really make an impact. It's not just about what that, like the conclusion of that trade is. Does multiple seconds allow you to go shop in a market that you previously couldn't shop in because now you have more currency? So, so the reason Vancouver can't get um, a, a lot of the trades they want is because they're capped out. 
So what if Vancouver has cap space in a year? They have some extra draft picks. There's a team that's capped that has a nice player they want. They can get for 50 cents on the dollar because they have cap space and they have an extra second round pick to go and acquire. It's opportunity cost, right, of bypassing something along those lines. And that's just the big picture stuff uh, that we're talking about as far as uh, the Vancouver Canucks. And we are going to get to what it means for the Canucks now that they are 500. Can they keep their winning ways going? Eight out of their last 11 games. We'll talk they about did it. They did. And finally back to 500. We'll talk about that and more and break down where the Canucks are trending and how they're trending with John Garrett right here on Sportsnet 650. That and Big on Canuck Central brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, John Garrett is going to join us. Cheech! In a couple minutes. A lot of reaction on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650 on our first segment, talking about the latest around Bo Horvat, the negotiations, the reports by, by Frank Valley and Elliot Friedman. We covered that in the first segment of the show. You can always check out uh, on the podcast, of course. Now, as far as how where this Canucks tre- team is trending towards, Bick, eight out of their last 11. They're back to 500. And if you want to entertain the playoff push idea, the numbers no longer look as daunting as they looked, say, two and a half, three weeks ago. But, they could look daunting again if you don't keep winning. So that's that's the point here. You know, you got to 500, you got Minnesota coming up. How do you behave and how do you act? But as far as the picture goes, you still, yeah, have a long road. But it is it looks far more attainable if you can keep winning. Sure, but here's the thing that like you have to remember it's it's the timeline is shifted now, right? Like this isn't November 14th, mm. this is December 8th and what does it look like from this vantage point to try to get to that stage? The runway just gets shorter. And so here they are 27 points on the year, which is again back to 500. What would be the safe number that we look at and say if they can get to this number they're in? So last year was 97. Yeah. So let, let's say for argument's sake, 96. 96. Let's okay. 96. So how many points do they need the rest of the way then? So to get to 96, 69 points. 69 points, 69 points in their final in 55, 55, games. 55 games. All right. So that means they can afford to lose 19, 20 games? In regulation. 21 games. In regulation. In regulation. Yes. So, so that's the number that you just look at and say, like, every time they have a regulation loss, just tick away that number. But, hey, if they keep playing 8 out of 11 hockey, you know. And if, hey, yes. If, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, hey, yeah. So they've won 8 out of their last 11. That's what it looks like to get to 96 points. You can entertain the idea of a push because they are at 500. And to talk about that and more, we have our friend John Garrett joining us. And Cheech, I mean, the Canucks got there. It took the game 27. But they're finally at 500. Yes, they are. And uh, they're kind <laughs> Wide open uh, <laughs> hockey that I'm, I'm sure some people don't like, but it sure is entertaining. And as long as they're able to keep scoring and Elias keeps playing like he is and both, they get six a night, <laughs> they've got a chance. Cheech, who hates these games more, the uh, goalies or the coaches? Uh, I, don't, I don't think the goalies 
as long as you're winning, I don't think the goalies really right. hate it. They, you look at Spencer Martin last night. Like, he, he let in some funny ones, mm-hmm. but then he made the two big saves in overtime, and they go down and score, and uh, he, he gets the win. And I, I think he'd be quite happy with that. I, I don't think he cares about the average so much as and you look at his one loss. What is he now, 8-2-1? and two and one, And he got off the hook on the Montreal game. He didn't take the loss in that one, and the Canucks came back and won. So uh, I think he'll just keep going. <laughs> yeah, look at my record. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really fascinating watching this team, you know, kind of go back and forth on the season this way. It's it's really, it, they haven't really played too many normal hockey games. It's always been either blowing a lead or, or storming back to win a game. There's only been a couple of blowouts either way for this team. I mean, what what is it about them that they just can't play like just normal hockey? It always has to be kind of cardiac hockey with these guys. Does it go back to the <laughs> habits part or is it just kind of how the, how the season is going? Uh, I, I, I would say that it's a combination of both. I think that they would like to play a more structured game, but I don't know whether their uh, talent is uh, amenable to that style of play i think that they have uh, good offensive forwards and and their power play has been especially with elias playing the way he has and uh, their power play is in the top three in the league i think that you're going to score goals and and that's the thing now and you talk to bruce and uh, he said he believes that the team is thinking now, no matter what the score, they're going to be able to come back. And they believe they can come back. And I think if you are if you have that belief, you're not going to blow as many leads because you're going to be pressing to score some goals yourself. And I, th- I think that's at the start of the season what happened to them was, well, okay, we've got a 3 nothing lead in Edmonton, and they score one goal. Well, we're not going to get many more than three. So instead of just trying to score and make it five or six, they sit back and all of a sudden the Oilers a couple of power plays and the game's over. And I think now they're at the point where even though they're ahead, they just keep going and, and try and score some more. On PD, you know, Sat and I have wondered uh, on the post game show that that we, we really think that there's going to be a, a twenty game stretch or a sorry a ten game stretch where there's twenty points and it hasn't gone. Uh, gone in for him on the power play just yet when you watch him on the power play uh what has to break through for him to get a goal because he's done a really good job of, of getting that backdoor pass to Kuzmenko or to best whoever it is but a, a goal at some point is going to come on the power play for him what's he got to do uh, I don't I don't think the team really cares whether he scores sure. or whether it's Kuzmenko or Bo or whoever and you watch the defensive structure of the teams playing against the Canucks now and we pointed it out, and Shorty and I sit there, and we you watch. And as soon as it, go, as it goes back to Quinn at the top of the diamond, uh, and he's throwing it to the sideboards to Elias, there's two guys that go every time. And they're blocking the shots in uh, San Jose the, the first time. Before they set up the Kuzmenko goal, first time it goes over to Elias, and he blasts it, and the guy blocks it, and... Uh, Canucks get it back and throw it back to Quinn. And the, the next time, Elias does the same thing, fakes the shot, takes one step to the inside so he's got a passing lane, and then just fires the hard one over and Kuzmenko tips it in. 
And I think that's one of the reasons that power play is going so well is the other teams are so conscious of going to Elias and keeping him off the board that they're leaving the other guys open. Well, I mean, yeah, and one of the things I wonder about with Quinn, too, on the power play recently, and it was a bit better last game, to be, to be fair, but it seems like he's really looking to score his first goal. Right? And at times, just really trying to get that shot off. And, and I think one of the things we've seen with this team at times, instead of looking to get yours, like how do you play winning hockey more? Because it's so fascinating looking at the splits for this team. They're sixth in the league, Cheech, in goals scored per game. They're third worst in the league in goals against per game. They're top four in power play, bottom three in the PK. It's, it's, it's really all or nothing. You know, like this team is it's, it's the the definition of all or nothing out there when they're playing, which tells me is something that Bruce mentioned. They're more worried about chasing stats as players and as a team than they are necessarily winning hockey games. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that. I I think that just the way they're playing uh, and their penalty kill, there's so many flaws in the penalty kill that you can understand why it's at the bottom. And, and you just watch and. Uh, the stick positioning and uh, they've tried some different things and they, and it's just, they have no confidence at all in killing penalties. And yet uh, once they get the man advantage, they just, it looks like they feel they can score every time. And the second group gets out there. And even though they usually end up with 35, 40 seconds, uh, they look like they feel they can score. And with Oliver Ekman Larson, He's a smart player. He throws it through, and you get tip-ins, and you get deflections that hit bodies in front, but he always gets it by the first guy. And then you have the scramble in front, and you have guys, uh, the Dakota Joshua goal. You have guys uh, tipped by Connor Garland on the nice shot by Oliver ekman Larson off the post, and there's Joshua. And it's just the scramble in front, and... You get the extra man out there, and that's what you do. I, I think the Canucks are so confident with the man advantage now. That's why they're in the top four. And then their penalty killing, it's been going so poorly. And I think the goalies now are guessing, uh, and you don't want the goalies guessing, because those crossing passes go through, and, and you can tell that the goalies are almost cheating to the pass before the pass goes. So they're entertaining to watch, right? Like, no doubt they are entertaining to watch. Because if you're a fan, goals are going in no matter what and, and in both directions. But are, are they enjoying are, are they enjoying to watch, right? I feel like they're like the frustrating college kid who leaves his, his, his project to the last minute. It's like, just, just work harder earlier. You can get the job done earlier. Are, are they enjoying to watch? Uh, they're fun. They're fun, yeah. uh, they're fun to watch. Uh, I'm enjoying it, and... I know it's frustrating at times, and you sit there and you think, okay, well... But frustrating isn't supposed to be fun, Cheech. They've got the lead, (laughs) and, uh, okay, you just coast it through here and be smart, and and then you see plays where, uh, you know, Eric Carlson, or or they, like the shorthanded goal the other night. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, uh, all you have to do, okay, you don't have a play, throw it in the corner, and instead they... The Alvarez Larson just kind of feathers it in the middle, and it's a clear-cut breakaway going the other way. Uh, the other goal that uh, on the line change, uh, Eric Carlson's got the puck, and you're going to change. Yeah, he throws it up, and then uh, I forget who it was that scored, but uh, Hurdle threw it back to him, and uh, he blasted it from 30 feet. And uh, but that's 
it's frustrating to watch that. And you say, well, you know, you just have to be thinking. But then uh, they're able to come back and they, they just keep going. And uh, to me, it's fun it's, <laughs> when you end up on the, on the positive side of it. You get down 4 nothing to the Canadians come back. That's fun. Well, it is fun, and like it's it's entertaining. It's a lot of fun seeing all the goals and 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 all the action. And the question really does come down to: now that they are at five hundred, can they really stay in this playoff race? Because somebody texted in and said, you know, you guys are making it seem like it's too hard to make the playoffs. They're only a game and a half back, and everything. And it's like, yeah, well, they are only a game and a half back, but it's about sustaining the winning, you know, and and playing better to get to that point because. If your differentials are, are, are like this entire season, you're probably going to be a 500 team, right? Like you're going to go on some runs, you're going to go on some losing streaks, and you're probably even out a little bit. So if they are going to make a run, I think at some point they're going to have to kind of come together a little bit. I mean, they made the run, but how do you stay make sure it's sustainable? And that's what I want to see, Cheech. Because if they show that over the next week or two, then then I'll sit here and say, you know what, like we're eight in a playoff out of race. eleven stats. No, I know. The, uh, forget the stats. Forget the fancy stats. But it's not fancy it, stats. We'll be watched. Give it the eye test. Give it the eye. Test. Well, the eye test they, says that they were going to lose three against three bad teams and have to make comebacks to win those games, and they're bad teams. Okay, okay, but did they win? Yes. And when they were beating Colorado and Vegas, yeah, what did you think of those games? We gave a lot of love uh, to those games. They played well those games. Yeah, yeah, and as long as you win, it's 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 the win mentality. And you look at their record against the West and the Pacific Division, and uh, it's been unbalanced so far because all the road games, and they get to play the Western Conference and the Pacific Division right now. Okay, Calgary and Edmonton are playing a little better now, but uh, are they going to be able to sustain the way they're playing too? Uh, it's all these ifs, ands, and stuff, and they the Canucks uh, get a couple of days off here now, and... Uh, they play in Calgary, and if they can win that one, you just keep going. I I don't believe that you can complain after winning 8 of 11 and uh, playing the way they played. I don't care who they're playing. It's just you lost your first seven games, and you've come back, and now you're 500. And it's not the middle of December yet. So you've proven to yourself, and you've got the confidence, even though you're – your number one goalie you did not play very well out of the gate, and now he's hurt. Uh, you've still been able to win. Uh, and the reason is that uh, Elias Patterson has been absolutely great. Quinn Hughes has been very, very good. And Bo Horvat's, Horvat's been fantastic. So uh, as long as those guys can keep playing the way they're playing, and there's no reason they shouldn't, they've proven they can, you, you should be there. I, I did want to ask about you know playing on PD's wing, right? Because we see Brock get that opportunity, uh, cycle in for Kuzmenko. It, it, can PD kind of be like the antidote for a couple of guys of, hey, you're in a slump, Connor Garland, go play there for two games. Brock, you're in a slump, go play there for three games. Kuzmenko, you'll, 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 get, you'll cycle in as well. Is that something that maybe they should try to explore, or is it a situation where Garland's got to earn that opportunity to go play with Pedersen, and Brock's got to maintain that opportunity to play with Pedersen? Well, and Brock's played his best of the year playing with Elias. So why would you change that? And Well, they changed it with Kuzmenko. He, he was playing fantastic with Petey. Yeah, I know, but uh, I agree with Bruce that when you put Garland and Kuzmenko down in the lineup, you're going to get the defense matchups that you want because the other coach is going to put his top four against the top two lines. So all of a sudden you're playing against the uh, Matt Bennings of the world. 
and it makes it easier for Kuzmenko and Garland. I, I, I agree with him that you can get production out of your third line because of the matchup on defense. And you know what What I was most impressed by was because when we saw Besser and Garland together on that third line, they didn't get a ton of ice time. They were playing like 11, 12 minutes or so. Last night, we saw Garland and Kuzmenko play a lot more, and that's because I thought Kuzmenko was the best player on that line. Is he a bit of a play driver where he's not just along for the ride with Pedersen? Like, we need to see more. It's only twenty, you know, 26 games for him. He did get that one single healthy scratch, but... Is he capable of really being a catalyst on a line like we like we saw last night? Yeah, I, I think he is. I, I think he's the kind of guy that uh, you get down to the third and fourth line, and you say, okay, they're going to dump and chase, and they'll play, try and play along the boards in the offensive zone. But with Kuzmenko and Garland on the line, you would hope that, and especially Kuzmenko, we've seen now that uh, he'll be able to get the puck to the net. He'll be able to uh, get over the blue line in control and uh, create some offensive chances. And I, I really think that uh, you go from a two-line team to a three-line team. Now, some of his goals are so funny because they're just, like, by the side of the net and he, he's able to just redirect them in and someone finds them. And, you know, when, when Chason would do that last year, we would say, well, good job by Miller, good job by Petey and Quinn to find him. But how much of that is, you know, when, when Kuzmenko's doing it, it feels like we are giving him credit to, to find the soft space. When you watch him play on the power play or whatever it is by the net, what do you notice about him of how he finds that space? Well, he's strong. Like, he plays strong. And, and you watch uh, games where those hard passes come across and the guy looks like he's playing with one of those rubber bladed ball hockey sticks. Well, with him, he gets in position and uh, he always has a stick angled towards the net and he, he always has body position. He, he's a strong stocky guy and he, he angles himself so that he's there when the pass comes from JT or from Elias and, uh, and he can create, he retrieves pucks well, and I think that's another reason on the power play that he's good is uh, because if it does go in his corner, if they miss the pass and goes in his corner, he can go and retrieve it. And then they reset, and away they go. Yeah, and, you know, Chief, before we let you go, Bo Horvat, he had two assists last night. He's up to 20 goals on the season. What we're seeing, well, outside of the goal scoring, like, what are you seeing from his game that's matured or even better? Like, Are you seeing... Are you seeing a lot when it comes to that outside of the goal scoring as well? Yeah, and everybody knows what a good face-off guy he is. And even nights when he has, you know, he's 10 and 15, the key face-offs, the, the face-offs in, on the power play, the face-off when uh, they tied it up against the Canadians, uh, plays like that, and uh, he's able to just, maintain his concentration and uh he's got a reputation now throughout the league he rarely gets waved out of the circles and uh the linesmen respect what he does and uh, i i really think that uh that part of his game is even better than it's been and it was really good last year and uh his percentage of face offs it's always 53 54% but his timing of the face-offs to me is is one of the elements where uh, like the other night when Montreal scored on that disputed placement of the face-off I was really surprised that uh, Bo didn't get to go out and take that draw and I think Bruce got so wound up about 
the faceoff being in the defensive zone that uh, he just let Elias take the draw and they lost it and it ended up in the net. But mm-hmm. uh, Bo has been so good at the key faceoffs at key times. Cheech, uh, hopefully we'll talk about more wins next week. And listen, I, I promise you, if they play really well and win the next couple of games, I'll be here. I'll, hey, be, I'll, be, I'll, that, be, I'll be cheerleading. You don't about how care about the scores. Sat, look back in history. Uh, <laughs> 1984, yeah. Montreal Forum, Guy Fleur gets a hat trick. They're playing against the Vancouver Canucks. Guess what the score of the game was? Uh, what? 8-9? Uh, 9-8? Eight, nine, nine, eight? Seven six. Seven six. Just like the other night, seven six. <laughs> Guess who the winning goalie was? Supported by a hat trick from Patrick Sundstrom that countered the hat trick from Guy Lafleur. John Garrett. Guess who the winning goalie was? John you Garrett. got it. So yeah, so you're saying <laughs> these are good wins. These these are really good you, wins. You yes. take the win. You <laughs> yes. take the win. Hundred percent. Yes. No, 100%. 100%. Hey, I, I'm with you on take the wins. I'm just trying to see if they can although, stay Although, Cheech, I just brought up that box score. It, it required four straight goals uh, from the Canucks to... Uh... <laughs> yes, I think I let in six in the second period. I six. didn't get the hook. I stayed in there. It, it makes that last save. It's like Spencer Martin. There you go. And yeah, make the last save. Overtime, away you go. Uh, I mean, has that has? I mean, I know you just brought it up, but ha- have these recent games really reminded you of like eighties hockey? <laughs> the old school games. <laughs> oh man! Like, no. I mean, could you imagine uh, what what the games would be like if the goalies were wearing wearing the same equipment? Oh, it would it would be ridiculous. Like 15, but uh, 14. you say that, and then make everybody use wooden sticks again. Yes. Yeah, you got to level, level the playing field. These guys are way yeah. too skilled and fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Cheech, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for your time. Okay. Right. Talk to you later. Uh, that's John Garrett from Sportsnet, uh, our, our, one of our favorite guests, as always. And Cheech, you know, he he was, he supports the guys. And he, I mean, he, no, of course. I mean, honestly, I, 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 was, the I, was, best, la- I was not laughing no, at you. No, no. I, was, I was laughing at the box score. Here. It's great. No, but the, the best, honestly, it, it's kind of like the discussion people have between Jordan and, and LeBron James. And they're like, Jordan went six for six. And it's like, and it's like, but but it's like, there's more to it. But like, we won six for six. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like you're talking about this team. It's like I don't know, I don't like how they're playing. Like they won eight of eleven. And it's like, all right. I mean, you can say everything you won, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the it's, yeah. it's kind of like the trump card, right? It's like they won eight of eleven. And sure. And honestly, like I, I I never hope that they lose. I just I just hope I just wish. It's it's it is bewildering though, Bic. Honestly, like look at the look at the splits. Mm-hmm. It's insane to be that good offensively and then that poor, poor defensively. That good on the PK and that bad on the on the PK, uh, on the on that good on the power play and that bad on the PK. There's it, no in between with this team. It's insane. Uh, I was laughing at this box score. Uh, so three goalies played in this game. Uh, seven six. What do you think the highest save percentage was in this game uh, on February 9th, nineteen eighty four? The highest save percentage. 1984. That year? No, uh, no, no. That game. That game? In a 7 6 game. 7 42? Ah, pretty close. It was owned by Cheech. 786. 786. Even better than I thought. I'm sure changing them. <laughs> the goalie on record, the winning goalie, 786. Yeah. Uh, great. Fantastic stuff. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll break down uh, the Canucks as they trend towards. Getting back into the playoff race at 500 and what that all means. We'll work through that. We'll get to more of your reaction as Canuck Central rolls on as we keep broadcasting from the Kintech studio here at Sportsnet 650. Kintech Footwear and Orthotic, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net right here on Sportsnet 650.